This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. This is Case Closed, back this Wednesday with another hour of mystery from the golden age of radio. We'll begin this week with crime and Peter Chambers with his episode from April 13th, 1954, titled The Alan Lewis Murder. After that, it's Rogues Gallery and Blood on the Sand. That story aired December 13th, 1945. Crime and Peter Chambers. Created by Henry Kane. Transcribed and starring Dane Clark. A private investigator, duly licensed and duly sworn. Peter Chambers. You're a private eye. That's your business. Anything else? That's for laughs. The guy on the customer's end of your office desk? No laughs here. This one is strictly business. He's a round little man, balding on top, pudgy in the middle. He's got eyes like a vulture and a cranky voice. Mr. Chambers, you've been highly recommended to me. You're supposed to be number one in your uh, racket. (laughs) He chuckles with a phony heartiness, and the eyes crinkle up, vulture's eyes, with an extra set of bags under them. The upper set are dark bulbous circles from lack of sleep. The lower set, a worry bag, purple and networked with wrinkles. I'm out on a writ of habeas corpus, Mr. Chambers. Yeah, and uh, on a murder rap. They haven't got a thing now, on me. Now, just a minute, just a minute, pal. Let's get some of our facts ironed out. Your name is Charles Avon. Uh-huh. You're a druggist here in New York. Right. You're married, and you've got no kids. Correct. Wife's name is Nancy. Lives 1688 Gramercy Park North. All right, now let's get to the meaty part. You're accused of the murder of one Alan Lewis. Yeah. Used to be a clerk in your drugstore. That's right. Please claim you killed him Monday, which is yesterday, mm-hmm. yesterday evening mm-hmm. at his Park Avenue apartment. Park Avenue. Yeah, so they claim. Well, did you kill him, Mr. Avon? Absolutely not. And my job? Is to find out who did kill him, so that I don't have to carry that burden around, too. What's the other burden, Mr. Avon? Well, there are two sides to every question in my business. I don't... All right, we'll skip that temporarily. Now, let's see. The cops hauled you in for the murder of your clerk. Ex-clerk. He hadn't been working for me for a year. Living off the fat of the land. Why'd they pick on you, Miss Ravon? Because I was supposed to be there last night at 8 o'clock. That's when it happened to him. And also, I'm supposed to have a motive for his murder. Well, did you have a motive? Well, if a guy's been blackmailing you for a year... Blackmail? What do you have on you, Miss Ravon? Well, now, I I don't know that I... Come on, let's have it. Well, narcotics. Narcotics? We had a deal going, sort of, with the narcotics. The lawyer knows all about it. I want to know. Well, I, I was looking for easy money, and I'm doing all right. This this Alan Lewis, he learns about it. He was working for me, you understand, and, and he starts holding me up. And so last night, when he's murdered... I came there to talk with him, but he wasn't home. That's all, he wasn't home. Then last night, the police picked me up, and I don't even know what they're talking about. Who's your lawyer? Richard Evans, Dick Evans. Oh. You know him? Yeah, I know Dick. Mr. Chambers, I, you, you've got to help me out of this jam. Not the narcotics, pal. No, no, the murder. And it'll cost you 5,000 simoleons. Mm-hmm. That's fair enough. Cash on the barrel head. I don't trust guys like you. Okay, but I don't have it on me. If you'll accompany me to the bank, well, yeah, I... I can't say I admire my choice of companion. You're an insulting well, let's one. Let's go, I'm Mr. Avon. <laughs> we'll discuss it on the way. The 
You get to the bank and you're paid, and you kiss him off like you'd kiss off a king cobra that just became a client. But if the guy's not guilty of murder, it's your job to prove it. That's what you're being paid for. So you get rid of him, and you go downtown to the offices of B. Richard Evans, Regal Legal Eagle. Hi, honey. Mr. Evans in? Uh, well, I'm well, in. I... All right, Pete. Come on. Ah. I've been expecting you. Hi, Dick. How are things going? Fine, fine, Petey. Come right on in. Okay. Dick Evans, boy lawyer. Black hair, beak nose, and cyclone cellar voice. A two-tone personality split at five o'clock. Tricky as a slippery bath mat before the deadline, but afterward, wide open and roaring. A wielder of martinis, like a good farmer with a pitchfork. What brings you, Mr. Detective? Charles Avon, Dick. How easy was it getting him out on that writ? Easier than getting stepped on in the subway. Because why, Counselor? Because the prosecution doesn't have a thing on him. Well, they got motive. Motive isn't murder, Mr. Chambers. Well, how'd that guy get it, that uh, Alan Lewis? Two bullets. One ripped through his right shoulder, rather unimportant. The second one pasted in over his right eye. Very important. Prosecution got the gun? No, sir, they don't. All they got is motive, period. They gave him a nine-hour grilling, and all they could come up with was motive. Okay, okay, okay. Now, what about the other charge? What other charge? The narcotics. Well, I'm going to plead him guilty on that. He ought to get a light sentence, because without Alan Lewis, they've hardly got a case. Well, here comes motive again for the death of Alan Lewis. Well, the police know all about that. How much good has it done them? By the way, uh, how do they know? Who told them? Uh, Frankie Tokers. Frankie Tokers. Uh... Male or female? Female, but good and female. You're uh, going to like that when you come to it. I like it already, just from looking at your face. Uh, have another slice of motive, Mr. Chambers. This one's on Frankie. She was engaged to Alan Lewis. That's motive? Not yet it's not, but this is. She's the beneficiary on his insurance policy for $30,000. Plus, she's the one who informed the police that the Lewis boy was putting the touch on Avon for the blackmail. Well, how'd she know? Her boyfriend confided in her. Oh, how she stand, uh, suspect-wise? Oh, she's got an alibi, don't they all? Frankie Tokers. A very gorgeous number. He sings at the rumpus room with an equally gorgeous blonde partner with whom you will kindly have no truck. Why? Because that one is sort of reserved for me. <laughs> uh, do you have this Frankie Tokers phone number, Dick? Got it written down somewhere. Name, address, and phone number. Ah, right, here you are. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Cute little trick. That's Frankie. Hello? Miss Tokers? This is Miss Tokers. Uh, Collins from the insurance company. There's been a slight complication. May I come to see you? Oh, uh, well, when? Oh, right away. The sooner the better. Well, all right, if you insist. I should be here most of the afternoon. Ah, good. I'll see you shortly then. Bye, Miss Tokers. So you leave the lawyer and you go visit the lady. This is supposed to be the part the private eye enjoys, but don't make book on that. Because most of the dear ladies turn out to look like bats on a vacation from the Belfry. This one happily doesn't. Uh, uh, Miss Toker? <laughs> yes, I'm Miss Toker. Uh, Mr. Collins from the insurance company. Oh, yes. Please come in. Frankie Tokers. She's wearing a hostess gown, a metallic number in gold. Imagine that wrapped around a dream-bunched figure. Frankie Tokers. Tall, with an oval face and wide dark eyes that glint like brandy bottles under bar lights. 
You don't fool around with a kid like that. Um, Mr. Collins? <laughs> I'm sorry. My name's not Collins, Miss Togers, and I'm not from the insurance company. My name's Chambers, Peter Chambers. I'm a private detective. And they tell me that you're on a spot. Get out. Now, just a minute. Get out. Get out, I tell you. Look, 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 lady. I think you've got me pegged wrong. Please. Oh, please. You explain the situation and tears come up in the blackberry brandy eyes. Naturally, you put your arm around her. Just as naturally, she puts her head on your shoulder. A sobbing brunette close in the arms of the private detective. There you have the classic situation. But you've been paid 5,000 bucks to find out who killed Cock Robbins, so <laughs> reluctantly you break it up. No, no, no. I know how you feel, Miss Tokers. You love the guy, but he's dead. Not true. Huh? I hated him. You were engaged to be married, weren't you? That was going to end when I found out what he was really like. And um, whose idea was that $30,000 life policy with you as beneficiary? His. His, of course. But that was going to be finished, too. Mm. Mr. Chambers, I couldn't tell the police, but I will tell you. Why? Because I want you to help me. Look, sister, you didn't kill him, did you? Oh, no, no, no. Listen. Listen, last night, the night he was killed, I went there. I was going to tell him off and finish it off completely. What time? Nine o'clock. It was between shows. I'm a singer at the Rumpus Room. Yeah, I know. Anyway, when I got there, there was no answer. I kept ringing, but there was no answer, and I was worried. I went back to the club, and I called on the phone. No answer. Then I called the police and told them that there was trouble there. I didn't say who was calling. Oh, now, wait a minute. Hold, hold, hold up just for a minute. First, why the police, just because the guy's not home? And second, how did you know there was trouble there? Because I knew that he had an appointment with Mr. Charles Avon for 8 o'clock, and it was going to be a long talk, and I knew what the talk was about. What was it about? About more money, more blackmail money. Oh, 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 I see. It figured for a trouble party, huh? Yes. And when the guy didn't answer at 9 o'clock, was your idea that the trouble had exploded? Exactly. And one hour after the phone call, the police were at the club, investigating the murder of Alan Lewis. I told them everything I knew about the narcotics that Mr. Avon was dealing in and about Alan's blackmail, and about how he was going to raise the ante at this meeting between them. Well, that answers why Charles Avon was picked up. Uh, what about your alibi? I fixed that up with my singing partner. I arranged for her to say that I'd been with her all the time. In our dressing room. But I'm scared, Mr. Chambers. I'm sick scared inside of me. Help me. Please, help me. Oh, Miss Tokers, I'd hate it if you did put those slugs into Alan. I didn't. I didn't. Oh, I didn't. She's asking for it. And you answer you take her face in your hands, put your lips on hers, and you leave them there. With excellent results. But then you quit. You crash out of there, and you're heading for police headquarters. But you detour for Charles Avon's drugstore. Good to see you again, Mr. Chambers. Hi, I was uh, thinking I might want to drop into your home tonight. Uh, would you be there perhaps later on? No, but my wife will. Oh, you don't know her. Oh, oh she's here right now. I'd very much like to have you meet her. Nancy? Yes? Uh, my dear, Peter Chambers, the gentleman I told you about. Uh, my wife, Nancy Avon. She's a small blonde, too young and too pretty for Charlie Boy. She's wearing gold-rimmed black lens goggles and you can't see her eyes. She's smooth-skinned and good-looking. But jumpy, nervous as a lion tamer who's lost his whip. Did, did, did you wish to speak to me, Mr. Chambers? Uh, very much, but I don't have the time now. May I speak with you later? Of course, but I'm leaving for home now. Well, may I call you there? Well, 
It's a little upset. It's May's day off, but if you wish... I wish. I wish. See you later. Bye, Mr. and Mrs. Avon. And so you're riding your broom again, making time for police headquarters, and then you're there. Come in. Come in. Well, Pete, to what do I owe the honor? Charles Avon, Louis, a paid-up client. So? Maybe you think you can do more than cops can do, huh? I doubt it, but I can try. Detective Lieutenant Louis Parker, homicide. Thick, set, and sturdy like a brand-new refrigerator and just about as enthusiastic. But a good cop, and mostly a good friend. What's pitch? I'm being paid $5,000 to find out who put the chill on Alan Lewis. Well, $5,000 to do what we'd do anyway, huh? Brother, yours is one business. Okay, what do you want? Help. <laughs> That's hot. You're getting five Gs. What do we get? Well, any information happens to fall my way, and no byline, you get all the credit. You're buying? What do you want, kid? Well, I'd like to see the inside of Alan Lewis's apartment. I'll buy that. In fact, I'll go with you. You got a cop staked out there? Nobody's staked out there. I've got better things to do with cops than having them sitting around getting fat. <laughs> okay, what else? Well, anything else that's not too terribly confidential? <laughs> not this case, Petey. We got us a nice, fat group of nothing. Uh, well, then that's it, Lieutenant. Let us go look at apartments. Alan Lewis's joint turns out to be the usual bachelor's flat fitted out to please the ladies. Parker snoozes in the bedroom while you poke around like a critical matron seeking dust in the upholstery. In the library, a book sticks out like a sore thumb in a working pickpocket. You pull it out and a envelope drips to the floor. You pick that up and examine it. It's slid on top and it contains a letter. It's addressed to Mrs. Nancy Avon, 1688 Gramercy Park, North New York City. You don't stop to read the letter. You stick it in your pocket and you're ready to leave. Then Parker comes into the room yawning. You finished, Sherlock? All done. Let's get out of here. Oh, uh, by the way, I assume you guys gave this place a going over. Yeah, most of last night. Been through this apartment with a fine-tooth comb. Yeah. A fine tooth comb. Hey, is that a crack? No, no crack intended, Lieutenant. Leave us, leave. Yeah, leave us. Outside, Parker goes off and you're left alone. Frankie Toker's place is nearby and... Well, maybe you're looking for an excuse to go back. Hello, Mr. Chambers. Oh, may I come in? Please do. You bring her up to date, you take the letter out of the envelope, and you read. Dear Nancy, finished is finished. Now you've got it in writing. I don't see the sense, but if you insist, you can come over Monday at 7.30. You can't stay long. As it happens, I have a date with Charles for 8 o'clock. Yours, Alan. The date matches. Monday, yesterday. Night he was killed. That letter puts her right in the middle, doesn't it? Say, so, you know anything about these two, Nancy Avon and Alan Lewis? She was sweet on him, and he encouraged her. Oh. Charlie Avon didn't even know it was cooking, but she was planning to divorce him. And then Alan Lewis cooled off. You mean, uh, when he met you? He'd have cooled off anyway. That's the kind of guy he was. Real loyal. Shot through with integrity. Hmm. Well, how'd she take it, you know? He told me. She was plenty worked up over it. Okay, Miss Tokers. Uh, Frankie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, you cross your fingers, and if I'm lucky, you're out of a jam. Oh, I'd appreciate that. Would I appreciate that? 
You figure your next stop for your last stop. 1688 Gramercy Park North. Oh. Oh, Mr. Chambers. Please come in. Mrs. Avon. She's dressed in Chinese-type lounging pajamas, and she's not wearing the dark lens specs. You look at her eyes, and a chill goes through you like winter's suddenly gotten into the marrow of your bones. Wild eyes, quick-moving, darting, half-mad eyes. Pupils dilated almost to the rim. Something, Mr. Chambers? Uh, A few questions. Questions? Why questions of me? Well, I've got a hunch I've stumbled on something the police don't know. Like... Like like what? Like you had a thing going with Alan Lewis. Your husband, you hope, didn't know about it. But I... I... There are letters. You saved them. Right, Mrs. Avon? Yes. You were there last night? Yes. I'm sorry, Mrs. Avon. Now, where's the gun? Do you have it? You, you, You say the police don't know? Perhaps... Perhaps... I mean, I have money. Look, I'm one of the dumb ones. I'm allergic to bribery. Now, where's the gun? I, I have it. It's hidden here, 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 hidden in the apartment. Will you, will you get it, please? Yes. Yes, I'll get it. it. It's my own gun. You wait while she goes for it, and you don't like it. But you haven't got the time to work it out now. Because she's coming back, and she's carrying the thing. A chunky, nickel-plated item. And she's holding it, business and forward... You get a scratched hip and a hole in your pants. And you're already the slugger, but you don't have to because she slides down in a faint. You get the gun away from her, find brandy, pour a lot into her, and a little into yourself. And finally she starts coming too. I... I fainted. You certainly did, lady. I'm ill. I'm under the care of a psychiatrist. Uh, Gunshot, the sound of gunshot. One shot and I pass out. Even if I do it myself, I pass out. What happened last night? Almost like it happened here. I was there before he was, and when he came, we argued. I brought the pistol. I was wearing my gloves, and I shot him. And then I fainted. When I came to, I saw he was dead, and I got out of there. Just a minute, just a minute. You say you were there before he was? How'd you get in? I... I have keys. You get her to an easy chair and you call down to Parker at headquarters. You put in a request for a lot of the law. And also for Mr. Charles Avon. Pretty soon the place is crawling with cops and you point a finger and to Lieutenant Parker you say, I give you a murderer, Lieutenant. But you've got it wrong. You're mistaken. No mistake. It's just where my finger's pointing. I give you, Lieutenant... Mr. Charles Avon. This guy's nuts. A lot of things he is. Nuts he ain't. Go on, Pete. Here's a guy who comes in and hires me for $5,000 for something the New York City police can do much better and for nothing. You're stealing my lines, chump. But the guy's not crazy. He's got a purpose. He's also got a large contempt for the thoroughness of the police, which I haven't. Start making sense, Petey boy. Read this. You toss the letter to Detective Lieutenant Parker and the room is as quiet as a cemetery until he's through reading it. So? I found that letter from Mrs. Avon to Alan Lewis. I found it in Lewis's apartment. Now, wait a minute. We gave that place an extra special going over. That letter wasn't there. You don't have to convince me. Convince Charles Avon. That baby goes and sees the wrong movies. He's got no confidence in cops. No, wait. Question. The letter wasn't there. But I found it there. So it adds up to plant. Somebody planted it there. Wanted it found there. 
Somebody wanted to implicate Mrs. Nancy Avon. Who? Who had access to her mail? Huh? Friend husband, that's who. Oh. Why do you think he hired me? So I could bumble around and find a few things he wanted me to find. Like frustrated love, like that letter, like, like maybe a confession from Mrs. Avon, which I got. She confessed? Doesn't mean a thing. Let me do it chronologically, will do you, Do it any way you like, pal. Nancy Avon goes there at 7.30 to keep her date. Yes. She brings her gun because the young guy's giving her the air. She waits for him. He comes. They argue. She shoots him and she faints. One shot. But the guy had two bullet holes in it. Correct. But here's how he got the second. Charles Avon's got a hate for both of them. For Alan and for Nancy. Alan's been blackmailing him. Plus the wife is sweet on Alan. He's been steeping open her mail... And he knows she's going to meet him last night. So he oh. follows. He follows, hoping against hope for action, and action happens. And then he gets in there. He sees Alan bleeding from the shoulder wound and the wife in a faint on the floor. He picks up the gun, finishes off Alan, wipes the prince off, puts it back in her hand, and vamooses. She comes to, sees the dead Alan, and she gets out convinced that she killed him. And then we pick up Charlie on the strength of Miss Toker's story, but the lawyer gets him sprung on a writ. Right. So this morning, he goes to Lewis's apartment. And he sticks that letter where it can't be missed. No, no, I... Real contempt he has for the efficiency of cops, hasn't he? Anyway, he hires me so I can clean up some loose ends and lay the whole deal in the lady's lap. The minute I saw that letter, I knew it was a plant. It happens that I've got respect for cops. They'd never miss that kind of evidence. Uh, one great big catch. Yeah, I know what you're going to say. What? How did he get in there twice? Once to croak the guy and once to plant the letter. Correct. Mrs. Avon had keys. Mr. Avon made duplicates. He figured he'd have use for them sooner or later. Well, he used them all right, and by now he's disposed of them. But he hasn't disposed of the key maker. Meaning what? Meaning that when a guy swipes his wife's keys to make duplicates, he doesn't go far. So you can demonstrate to Mr. Avon about the efficiency of cops by producing and with dispatch the neighborhood key maker who did the job, and that, that will put the final finger on Mr. Charles Avon. No, no, I didn't. All right, Mr. Avon. That does it. Charles Avon goes white and topples, and when he gets up, the manacles are around his wrist, and he's babbling his brains out. Lawyer or no lawyer, this time he's going to get locked away for good. Nice work. Great A job, Petey. Congratulations. <laughs> well, now. Appreciation from a detective lieutenant to a private eye, that's sweet music indeed. But you start breaking out of there because you're heading for Frankie Toker's place. Appreciation from Detective Lieutenant Parker, good enough. But appreciation from Miss Frankie Toker, well, no. And there you've had crime and Peter Chambers. Dane Clark was starred as Peter Chambers. Crime and Peter Chambers transcribed was created and written by Henry Kane. Bill Zuckert was heard as Lieutenant Parker with Leslie Woods, Edgar Staley, and Lawson Zerby. It was directed by Fred Way. This is Fred Collins inviting you to tune in next week, same time, same station, for Dane Clark in Crime and Peter Chambers. Hear the Oppenheimer story on Heart of the News, tonight on the NBC Radio Network.
F.W. Fitch Company, makers of those fine Fitch products, presents Dick Powell as Private Detective Richard Rogue. In Rogue's Gallery. Rogue speaking. Well, I was suffering one of my regular attacks of rigor indolence last year when I decided to commune with nature in a gentle sort of a way. So I made a reservation at the L7 Dude Ranch out in the desert. The afternoon I arrived at the ranch, I was lolling around the swimming pool, exposing my epidermis to the sun and admiring the scenery, when part of the scenery walked up and took a poke at another part of the scenery over some of the most beautiful scenery I've ever seen in or out of a white satin bathing suit. The poker was a paunchy 45, the pokey a very slick 30. And the cause of it all was a lovely, lovely 25, blonde and definitely feminine. I stayed out of it. I've told you for the last time, Harding, I want you to stay away from my wife. Brian, please, you've been drinking. This is no place to settle your quarrel with Tom. I'm just as sick of you as you are of me, Mills, and so's Anne. You're no good to anybody. Tom, don't. Not here, Tom. If you don't stay away from my wife, I'll kill you, oh, Harding. please. Come on, Brian. Let's get out of here, please. Tom, I'll see you later. It's the last time I'm going to warn you, Harding. If you don't stay away from oh, me, I'll... shut up. You're drunk again. Talking that sort. You're not going to kill anybody. I'll see you later, Anne. Come on, Brian. Let's go now. Would you mind talking to me? I'm a little embarrassed. Oh, hello. Why don't you just look the other way? That's what I'm doing. Maybe it's because I want to see Tom Hardy and get what's coming to him. You don't like Mr. Hardy? Well, no. He considers himself the world's most attractive man. Well, that's silly. I'm the world's most attractive man. <laughs> How nice. I'm the world's most attractive woman. Well, what a couple we'd make. You like to know my name? I know you. You're Richard Rogue. Been reading my mail. No, but you're a very famous person. I've seen your picture in the paper lots of times. Society page, of course. Was it? I don't remember. Well, that's thoughtful of you. What's your name? Lucia Logan. Should I know it? Not unless you're looking for a secretary. That's what I am. Like to ride? Love it. Some of my best friends are horses. You're lucky. Some of my best friends are skunks. Want to go for an early morning ride with me tomorrow? Mm, tomorrow we greet the dawn on horseback and... Uh, yeah? I'll wear a coat to keep me warm, Richard. Ah, you know, Lucia, darling, this scene uh, brings out the Gene Autry in me. Yes, sir, if I had my guitar, I'd sing for you, so help me. Oh, bury me not on the lone prairie. <laughs> yeah, this is for me, baby. Yep, someday I'm going to save enough money to buy me a ranch out here, and then I'm through with the crowded city. Yep. Me for the wide open spaces, with my dogs and my horses and... And a pretty little partner to cook and sow. And milk the cows and throw down the hay into the horses' stalls. Uh, and... I'm not listening anymore. Oh? What's ever happened to the pioneer woman? Richard, look. Hmm? Where? Over there, where I'm pointing. There's a man lying there. Huh? Yeah. Come on. He's hurt. Must have been thrown from his horse or something. Yeah. I can't hang on, Richard. Well, take it easy, then. Oh, boy. Whoa, whoa. Settle down. Whoa, whoa. Oh. Oh, no. This couldn't happen to me. Who is it, Richard? It's Tom Harding, baby. Stay on your horse. Is he unconscious? No. He's been shot. He's dead. <laughs> Thank you.
I'll be back in a moment to tell you the rest of the story of Blood on the Sand, but first here's Jim Doyle, the man from the Fitch Company, who's going to give you men a shaving tip you can't afford to skip. That's right, Dick. I want to tip you men off to the grandest, smoothest shave you've had in a long time. It's the kind of shave you can have all the time when you use Fitch's No-Brush Shaving Cream. You see, Fitch's No-Brush contains not one, but three important shaving ingredients. These three ingredients are blended together in a smooth, rich cream that lubricates your face instantly and prepares it for the shave. Your razor will fairly sail along over those whiskers, cutting them close and clean without nicking or scraping. It's easier on your face, easier on your razor blades, too. When you've finished, your face will have a cool, refreshed feeling that lingers for hours. No fooling, fellas, for a really solid comfort shave. Switch to Fitch. Men who say there's nothing like lather to give a smooth, swell shave will find Fitch's brush cream as tops. It gives a rich lather that stays moist longer, rinses off easier. Next time, make it Fitch's shave cream, either brush or no brush type. Two handy economical sizes, 25 and 50 cents. And now here's Dick Powell again as Private Detective Richard Rogue. As I was saying, before Jim Doyle put in that pitch for Fitch, when the great outdoors called me down to the L7 Dude Ranch on the desert for a two-week vacation... I didn't expect to meet a dream girl like Lucia Logan. And I didn't expect to hear a writer, Brian Mills, threaten to kill his friend, Tom Harding, if he didn't stay away from his wife, Anne. And I didn't expect to make a discovery which Lucia and I made on a sunrise horseback ride the next morning. We were just riding along, enjoying the dawn, when we saw the body of a man lying on the floor of the desert. I reached the body first. Who is it, Richard? It's Tom Harding, baby. Stay on your horse. Is he unconscious? No. He's been shot. He's dead. Oh, Richard. He was murdered and there's no gun here. Oh, why do things like this always happen to me? Oh, Richard. Let's get back to the ranch. I'm scared. There's nothing to be scared of. The guy's dead. But whoever shot him might still be around here, Richard. Whoever shot him never was around here, baby. There's not a footprint in sight. And he was shot from long range, if I'm any good at my business. But it's just getting light. You remember last night, baby? Remember the moonlight? <laughs> it didn't even take good shooting to kill this guy. Come in. Hello. Rogue? Oh, hi. Uh, you're Sheriff Kane, I take it, from the badge. That's right. I just got back from looking at that body you found for me this morning. Well? He was shot with a thirty-two twenty rifle. A deer gun. No kidding. Well, have you figured out where the killer was when he did the shooting? My boys are checking. You, uh, going to help me out on this case, Rogue? I'm on a vacation. I well, don't... I can use any help you want to give me. I'll swear you in as a deputy. No, no, no. No thanks, Kane. Believe me, I want no part of it. I'm up here for a rest, and I'm going to have it. Well... Let me know if you change your mind. I sure will. Oh, by the way, any ideas on who would want to kill Hardy? I just got here yesterday afternoon. I don't know anything about the guy. But you heard his life threatened yesterday at the swimming pool, didn't you? Oh, you know about that, huh? Mm-hmm. I just wanted to know how much you weren't going to cooperate, Rogue. Well, I knew somebody would tell you. Now, just leave me out of it, Kane. I pass. Well, sorry. I'll see you later, Rogue. <laughs> 
you mind if I sit here with you for dinner, Richard? Well, hello. I've been looking for you, Luscious Lucia. Have a chair. You've been avoiding me. I've been avoiding everybody. I'm on a vacation. I don't want to get mixed up in that murder. You know, everybody thinks Mr. Mills did it. What do you mean, everybody thinks so? Well, I think so. He threatened to kill Tom. You heard him. Well, how about Mrs. Mills? She was having trouble with Harding, too, wasn't she? Yes, but I still think it was that drunken husband of hers. Oh, well, you do, huh? Yeah. You want a tip from me, baby? What? Don't be going around having hunches about murders. And if you have them, shut up about them. Stay out of it. Well, the sheriff won't let anybody leave the ranch. You came here for a week, didn't you? How about a ride in the morning? We didn't get very far with that one this morning, did we? <laughs> Mr. Rogue? Yeah? Oh, hello, Mills. Could I see you for a moment, Mr. Rogue? Well, I'd like to eat my dinner if they ever serve it. Oh, perhaps later. Huh? Well, what do you want to see me about, Mills? In your professional capacity, Mr. Rogue. I'm not in my professional capacity. Could I drop by your cabin later this evening? Sure, if you can walk that far, I'll be there. Thank you. My goodness, you're popular. Just like being with a movie star. Uh, yeah, yeah. So how about that horseback ride in the morning? Want to try it again? Hmm, I'd love to. Such exciting things happen when I go for rides with you. Come in. Oh, hello, Mills. Come in. My wife is with me, Rogue. Huh? Oh. How do you do, Mrs. Mills? Hello. Oh, wait a minute. I'll get these bottles off the chair and we can all sit down. These cabins weren't built for entertaining large parties, were they? No. No, they weren't. Oh. Well, now that we're uh, all comfortable, Mills, what do you want to see me about? And the answer is no. Please, Mr. Rogue, you don't even know what Brian was going to say. You want me to get mixed up with the murder of Tom Harding, right? Yes, I do, Rogue. And I'm willing to pay you well for your time. I'm not interested. You see, this is the first vacation I've taken for about three Rogue, years. Rogue, I'm being persecuted. That Hicks sheriff, he's, he's been hounding me. Sheriff Kane seems to be a pretty astute officer. Did you kill Harding Mills? No, he didn't. He was with me all that evening, all that night. I told the sheriff that. Brian was never out of my sight. My wife can give me a perfect alibi, Rogue. I'm not the sort of man who kills people, and I'm not going to be hounded by a country sheriff. Look, Mills, I'm sorry if you're being hounded, but I'm on a vacation, so you, I don't want... You, you must protect my husband, Mr. Rogue. He's not a murderer. The sheriff suspects him because he and Harding had words yesterday. I heard the words. One of them was kill. You threatened to kill Harding, didn't you, Mills? He was annoying my wife. And nobody would have ever heard of him if it hadn't been for me. A writer. Couldn't even write home for money. Harding was a horrible pest, Mr. Rogue. He wouldn't let me alone. Yeah, so I've heard. So, uh, just what was the relationship between the two of you and Tom Harding? Uh, he and I have been collaborating on plays for years. He, uh, he was engaged to Anne when I married her a year ago. Since then, he's been giving us nothing but trouble. I never loved him, but I couldn't convince him of that. And I know one thing. My husband didn't kill him. I'll give you $500 to work on this case for me, Rogue. What do you expect me to do? Find the real murderer. Protect me. Convince that stupid sheriff I couldn't have killed Harding. All right. Give me the 500 Got it with you? Yeah. Yeah, I got it with me. Okay. Now, here's what I'll do. I'll try to locate the real murderer, whether it's you or whoever it is. And when I find him, I'll turn him over to the sheriff. Understand? Yes. But, Rogue, I didn't kill Tom Harding. Thank <laughs> you.
I don't know what it is about money that frays my moral fiber, but when the man handed me those nice, crisp hundred-dollar bills, all my bad intentions about enjoying my vacation disappeared like friends when I'm broke. After Brian Mills and his glamorous wife left, I smoked a cigarette and turned in. I was going riding at dawn. And when I got to the stables next morning, Lucia wasn't there yet, but Mrs. Mills was. She was wearing a riding habit to which no horse nor man would ever say nay, and of all things, a pair of pigskin play shoes. Oh, very fetching and very peculiar. Oh, hello, Mr. Rogue. You off for a morning ride? Yes, I mentioned it last night. Remember? Did you? Oh, I guess you did. I was so upset about Brian's trouble with the sheriff. You you are going to help him, aren't you, Mr. Rogue? He's such a sweetheart, and scandal would ruin him. Sure. Well, I took his money. I'm going to do what I can for him. Oh, I hope it's taught him a lesson. He has a terrible temper when he's drinking. He should never have caused that scene at the pool. You were the cause of that scene. What did Tom Harding have on you? Nothing. We used to be good friends, that's all. Oh, I see. You're not telling all you know, are you, Mrs. Mills? Mr. Rogue, I want you to promise me something. I'll listen. You said last night that if you found incriminating evidence on my husband, you'd turn it over to the authorities. Yeah, sure I will. Please, Mr. Rogue, I have some money of my own. I want you to promise me that you'll... you'll tell me first if you find anything which makes you suspicious of Brian. Hey, I don't get it. I thought he had an ironclad alibi. He has. And besides, Brian couldn't kill anybody. I want to do everything I can to protect him from worry and persecution. Look, I know how you feel, Mrs. Mills. If your husband isn't guilty, don't worry. We'll keep him out of it. Hi, Richard. Uh, oh, hello there, beautiful. You know Mrs. Mills? We've met. Hello. Our horses are all ready. I've been out helping to saddle them. Okay, let's go. I don't like this, Richard. Climbing mountains on horseback. What do you think of Mrs. Mills? I don't. There's a method in my madness, baby. I'm a working man today. You are? Who are you working for? Secret. You've decided to get mixed up in that murder, haven't you? Yep, something nice happened to me. That's what we're doing here at the spot where we located that body. I was siding in on this pile of rocks. Are you being mysterious? No, not especially. Today I'm being a detective. You see, Angel, Harding was shot with a deer gun. Everybody knows that. I'm no detective and I know that. Okay, but do you know enough to figure out where the shot came from? By the way the body fell? I don't even care. I came out for a horseback ride and I want to enjoy it. This is no fun, walking a horse up the side of a mountain. Well, we haven't far to go. Just stay with me a little longer. And to think I turned down a date with that nice-looking blonde boy from San Francisco this morning. Oh, look, are you going to stop beefing? Oh, boy. Why are you oh. stopping, Richard? Oh, I just want to look around here a little bit. Oh, boy. What are you looking for? I'm prospecting for lead, maybe with a copper jacket. Come on, we're walking from here. Oh, no. <laughs> Come on, I I want to take a look behind that big rock up there. I'm going to be so stiff, I won't be able to dance tonight. Good. 
We'll set them all out someplace near the punch bowl. Oh, no. I'm going to be with that blonde boy from San Francisco. And if you so much as ask me for a dance, I'll... Oh. What's the matter? Look. Look there on the ground behind that bowler. Where? Oh, those little copper things. They're, they're shells, aren't they? They certainly are. Three empty shells. Hmm. 3220s. Look out. Don't touch them. I want them for fingerprints. Do you think they're the shells that killed Tom Harding? Well, I'm willing to bet they are, baby. I think we just put the finger on a murderer. Richard? Yeah? Look down there. Where? Way over there on that next peak. The sun's flashing on something. Hmm? Oh. Oh, yeah, I, I see it. Hmm. Somebody is looking us over with a pair of field glasses, I think. Probably the murderer. He wouldn't like to see us looking around up here. What are you putting in your pocket? Another little souvenir, see? Oh. Get on, baby, get on. That was a rifle bullet. Get on here behind this rock. Our story will continue in just a moment. But first, I'd like to remind you that the holiday season coming up will be the gayest in years, with peace on earth at last a reality. You ladies will undoubtedly want to keep in the spirit of things by accentuating your costumes and hairstyles with gay, sparkling jewelry so popular now. But remember, dull, drab-looking hair is not the kind of background you want for your jeweled hair accessories. Try using Fitch's saponified coconut oil shampoo to give your hair luster and a jewel-like sparkle. Fitch's saponified shampoo is made from mild coconut and pure vegetable oils, so it won't dry your hair. Even immediately after washing, your hair will be soft and shiny, easy to set into your favorite holiday hairstyle. Using Fitch's saponified shampoo will take only a few minutes from your busy day, too. Just a little shampoo makes mountains of fluffy, fragrant lather. And since Fitch's saponified shampoo contains its own patented rinsing agent, you won't have to bother with a special after-rinse. To keep your hair looking radiantly lovely at its holiday best, Use Fitch's saponified coconut oil shampoo. And now we return to Rogue's Gallery with Dick Powell as private detective Richard Rogue. My thoughts were as bitter as a quinine sandwich as I ducked down behind that boulder and listened to the bullets sing. With the whole world to get killed in, why did Tom Harding have to pick out a dude ranch where I was sweating on a vacation? I reached into my pocket where I'd put the empty rifle bullets. The killer had fired at Harding, and they were there. I felt in my back pocket, and the other clue I had found was safe. I tried to pull Lucia down beside me just as I heard another bullet sing. Lucia screamed, and my heart did a handspring in my throat. Hmm? Oh, I'm shocked. Richard, why did I ever come with you? Where did you get it? Where'd you get it? Let me see. Right here, in the shoulder. Well, get your hand away from there. Oh, you're not shot, youngster. You're not even bleeding. I'm not? Well, no. You must have just been hit with a chip of a rock or something, that's all. Now, come on, let's get out of here. Stay low now. I'll go first. Oh, if I ever get back to that ranch alive, Richard Rogue, and if you ever speak to me again... Oh, take it easy, baby. This will be something to tell our grandchildren about. <laughs> our grandchildren? Richard Rogue, I never want to see you again. Oh. 
back to our horses and got back to the ranch house all right. I made Lucia promise not to say a word to anybody until I had a chance to think this thing out. She promised. She would have promised anything to get rid of me. I went to my cabin to look over the stuff I'd found up there behind that boulder, and as I opened the door to my cabin... Oh, 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 I got it. Right behind the ear, as usual. I watched the stars go by for a while, and... Finally, I grabbed on the tail of a comet and didn't let go until I was within dumping distance of cloud number eight. And there he was. My alter enemy, Yugor. <laughs> You're a little late tonight, Rogie. Yeah, oh, what happened? <laughs> Somebody wanted to know what you found up there on that mountain. You should have stuck to your vacation, Rogie. Uh, well, whoever it was, I... I'm going to have them over a barrel in a few minutes. Oh, I got to get back there. Help me. <laughs> oh, you better rest a while. I can't. So long, Midget. See you next week. So long, Rogie. <laughs> Well, uh, I came to and felt my head. It was, oh, it was really caved in. Whoever hit me used a piece of firewood. I looked in my pants pocket. The, the handkerchief I'd wrapped the empty cartridge in was gone. I grabbed it in my back pocket and it was there. That other little clue I'd picked up there behind that boulder. I staggered to my feet and... And I, I headed for the main ranch house. I, I saw the sheriff's car outside. I, I wanted to talk with him. Rogue! Hey, hey, what's the matter? What's happened to you, man? Oh, nothing, nothing much. I, somebody just battered my brains out, that's all. Oh. Yeah, I, I want to talk with you, though. Come on. Uh, sure. Well, I, I, I've been working on that murder for you. Oh, swell. Yeah, I, I was hired by one of the suspects. Not Mills. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's that's the guy. Oh, he's guilty as the devil, Rogue. Uh, how do you figure? Motive. Mm. He had a double-barreled one. First, Harding had been making up to his wife. Second, Harding and Mills had drawn up partnership papers, providing that if either one of them died, the other would be sole owner of anything they were working on. Yeah? Sure. I've been checking on them through the L.A. police. They've got a play that every picture company is bidding for and every Broadway producer is interested in, a gold mine. Well, now that Harding's dead, the play is the sole property of Mills. <laughs> Those two motives good enough for you? Well, how about his alibi? His wife said he was never out of her sight. If that's true, he couldn't possibly have killed Harding. Well, I got a call from his wife telling me to meet her at their cabin at noon. That's going to be the end of that alibi, I think. She sounded nervous and scared. Uh, I'm going over there now. Uh, going with me? Sure. Yeah, I'll go. Oh, uh, I found the place where the killer waited for Harding to keep his date to be killed. Oh, you, you did, huh? Yeah, and I also found the casings from the bullets that killed him. Well, where are they? A any fingerprints? Uh, somebody just knocked my brains out and took them from me. Oh, uh, how long ago? Oh, it must have been a half an hour. Uh, that's what you get for not cooperating with me, Rogue. You've cost me... Uh, uh, oh. Hey, that came from the mill's cabin. Come on. Right with you. Mills. I killed him. I killed my husband. Yeah. Yeah, you did. 
you sure have. Hey, what what happened? <laughs> he had that rifle. He was going to kill me. Why was he going to kill you? Lock the door, Kane. Huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> now look, Mrs. Mills. You'll have to get a hold of yourself. Why was your husband going to kill you? Because I knew I was going to tell the sheriff he wasn't with me last night. He was drinking. He took that rifle and left before Tom Harding was killed. I told him I couldn't go on lying. Oh, that's why you sent for me. You were going to break his alibi. Yes. He killed Tom. He was boasting about it to me. Oh, poor Brian. I loved him, but I oh, is that, a, is that a rifle there, thirty-two twenty, Sheriff? Mm-hmm. It's the murder gun, all right. Well, looks like this case is all wrapped up, Rogue. I'm sorry, Mrs. Mills. Now, look, Sheriff, this case is all wrapped up, all right, but not the way you think. Hmm? Mills never killed anybody. Why? Well, what do you mean? I mean, Mrs. Mills missed something when she beat my brains out and shook me down for those cartridges a while ago. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, you'd better have something to back that up, Rogue. If I haven't, I'll take the rap. Look, Kane, you see those fancy ladies' cowboy boots over there in the corner? Yeah. Get away from them! I got her. Bring those boots over here, Kane. Let go of me! Okay, Rogue. How about letting me in on it? Half the heel's gone off the left boot, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Let go of me! If you don't stand still, Mrs. Mills, they're going to slug you. I've got that broken boot heel right here in my pocket, Kane, and I had a witness when I found it this afternoon. Up there behind that boulder where Mrs. Mills here waited for Tom Harding to keep his date with her and a couple of slugs from a 3220. Well, that's the end of the story. Mrs. Mills didn't want her husband, and she didn't want her old boyfriend. She just wanted to own that play everybody was fighting for. So when her husband threatened her boyfriend, she went into action. She invited Tom Harding to a rendezvous on the desert and shot him to death. And then when her husband was suspected of the crime, she gave him an alibi. So she could kill him later and swear it was self-defense. She would have gotten away with it, too, if it hadn't been for that half of boot heel. The minute I saw it lying there behind that boulder, I thought of her western riding habit that morning and the pigskin play shoes. That started my massive intellect to work, and... Uh, <laughs> Of course, when uh, that happened, that was all. I also remembered the faint odor of her expensive perfume just before that log knocked my brains out. And, uh, well, after the excitement was over and I had combed the lump out of my hair, I went over to see Luscious Lucia. Oh, you. Hello, dear. I just thought I'd drop over. I told you I never wanted to see you again. Oh, well, she was a little on the chubby side anyway. You know what I mean? This is Dick Polligan, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Believe me, Richard Rogue is the only man who ever made money on a dude ranch vacation. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed our story. Ray Buffum wrote it. Leith Stevens composed and conducted the music and D. Engelbach produced and directed. Don't forget now, we all have got a date... Next Thursday night, we're going to do a little story about murder, arson, and a lovely lady. We call it Fortune and Furs. So make a date with us, will you? Thanks for listening, and good night, all. Now here's Jim Doyle. Don't forget to tune in again next Thursday, same time. Oh, uh, and by the way, be sure to see Dick Powell in his newest RKO picture, Cornered, at your local theater soon. And as I was saying, don't forget to tune in again next Thursday, same time, same station, 
when you will again hear Dick Powell as Richard Rogue in Rogue's Gallery. Remember, if dandruff is your problem, ask for Fitch's Dandruff Remover Shampoo. Removes dandruff the first time it is used. Fitch's Dandruff Remover Shampoo is the only shampoo whose guarantee to remove dandruff is backed by one of the world's largest insurance companies. This statement can be made by no other shampoo. Ask for Fitch's Dandruff Remover Shampoo at your drug or toilet goods counter, barber or beauty shop. Fitch is spelled F-I-T-C-H. from Case Closed, Prime and Peter Chambers, Rogues Gallery, all the other podcasts, lots to listen to, all at relicradio.com. Our Shoutcast stream is running there as well with even more old-time radio. All of this is made possible by your support. If you'd like to help out, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on one of the links on the website. Your support is what makes all of these shows possible every week. Thank you, as always, to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me this week. Be back again next Wednesday with another hour of Case Closed. Thank you.